you have to really keep your head on your shoulders and be ready to pivot around and be ready to, you have to really open your eyes to any and all solutions and you have to really understand the business in which you are operating in. You also have to understand not just where the, I mean, Gretzky used to say, you have to not just understand where the puck is, but where the puck is going. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest on this episode is Daniel Corkum. He's a total reward specialist, but is unique in that he also has a master's in information systems. He understands the value and importance that technology has in the HR profession while also having that in-depth perspective of which systems will yield the best outcomes. Let's dive right in. Dan Corkum, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. I appreciate you uh, carving out the time. And I guess the real question is, you ready to have some fun? Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me, Adam. Yeah. Well, Dan, give an overview, kind of who you are and, and what it is that you're doing. Sure thing. My name is uh, Dan Corkum. I'm currently a total rewards specialist with our Lanxio. That means I'm kind of responsible for the strategy and support for total rewards within North America, including the United States and Canada. Areas of responsibility would include base pay, incentives, benefits, recognition, and other forms of comp and benefits, things like that. Before this, I was with Bayer. Um, I was a compensation advisor for the North American Pharmaceutical Division from 2015 through uh, about February of 2020. Unfortunately, Bayer made a decision to shut down my site. They announced it in early 2019 that it would be closed by the end of 2020. So I kind of had to make a career move to go on and do something a little bit different. During my time at Bayer, uh, I had the opportunity to serve as a total rewards functional leader as part of the total rewards think tank based in Bayer, uh, based in Leverkusen, Germany for Bayer, I should say. Really incredible experience being able to live over there for six months. I lived there from in Cologne, Germany from June of 2018 through December. And prior to Bayer, prior to our Lanxio, and I was with a company called Nova Chemicals based in Moon Township here, just by the airport in Pittsburgh for about 10 years. And before that, I was in a workers' comp for a little bit. Hey, you know what I've been meaning to ask you is I noticed that you've got two uh, post-bachelor degrees uh, from Duquesne. Now, did you get them simultaneously or were they one after the other? And, and if you don't mind, explain, so you got a, an MS in information systems as well as an MBA, correct? Correct, that is correct. Yeah, I did them one after another when I was working as a auditor doing workers' comp in the early legs of my career. I really wanted to 
I noticed I, I gained an interest into the compensation area and I really wanted to get into that and to get into the human resources a little bit more than just the workers' comp realm. So following my undergraduate, I made a decision to go get an MBA right then and there and I was able to complete that. And then right thereafter, I decided, hey, I'm really interested in not just human resources, but also information systems management and decided, hey, you have another two years, go ahead and do it. And was able to do it both via night school. So quite proud of those accomplishments. And then have you found those experiences and that information to really lend itself to what you're doing? And has it helped with your career? Oh, without a doubt, there's principles, there's lessons learned that I apply probably on, on a very regular basis throughout my career ever since. Excellent. So what I'd love to do, Dan, is uh, kind of warm you up, take you through what I call the rapid fire piece of this podcast to give the audience a better understanding of kind of who you are as a person. And then from there, let's get into the meat and potatoes of what it is that you're doing as a total reward specialist. Sound like a plan? All righty. Sounds good. All right, good stuff, man. Consider yourself an early bird or a night owl. Ah, oh, man, that's a tough one there. I think it sort of depends on the day and the situation, what I got going on. In general, they'll probably be a little bit more of a night owl. Ah, well, then I'm going to thank you for uh, getting up real early <laughs> to make today happen then. <laughs> so, <laughs> Have you always been a night owl? Not always. I don't even know if I would call it really an owl. It's more, uh, more of a preference, I'd say. Sometimes it's easier just to stay up a little bit later than it is to wake up a little bit easier. I know you're a podcast guy. What was the last podcast that you listened to? The last podcast I listened to would have been the Joe Rogan Experience. I think it was the one where Bob Saget was the guest. I think that's the last one I got through in its entirety. I find him to be a really interesting character. Do you recommend that one? Yeah, it was a good one. You just need a lot of time to get through it, though. As with any of the Joe Rogan experiences, I think it's like two or three hours long. It's yeah. He gets deep with people. I, I, I mean, Bob is an interesting character. He played, well, I forgot the name of that show, but it was like, like he was like in front of all of Americans. People thought he was like a family guy, but then, oh, yeah. And then if you ever see yeah. his real comedy, he is the farthest thing from. Oh, my word. Yeah. America's Funniest Home Videos, I think, is that show you're referencing. Yeah. But oh, my word. What a, what a 180 from that character to his stand up. But I'm blown away that they kept him on that show. But, anyways. I, uh, tell me a habit that you have, good, bad, or indifferent. Oh, good habit, uh, habit, good or bad. I'm, uh, I think a bad habit that I have is I'm always constantly thinking about work, what I have going on at work, how I could do things better, trying to think my way around different problems and roadblocks. I may turn off my computer at night, but I never really turn off my brain, and so that's a bad habit that I have. You know, tell me something that most people they just don't know about you. Something that most people don't know about me is I'm actually a full-blown Canadian citizen. I was uh, born in Toronto. I lived. I only lived up there for six weeks before my family moved down to the states, and I've never became a citizen of the United States. So <laughs> I'm here on. I have all the legal paperwork, though. So. All right. <laughs> Good one. Right. <laughs> yeah. So is it just ironic that you're covering Canada in, in your present job? A little bit ironic, almost a little bit by design. I've always, whenever uh, I'm going about seeking about me, my career interest has always been both obviously United States because I live here and was raised here and Canada because I'm originally from there. So I've taken a little bit of a deliberate approach to trying to be involved with organizations uh, and really uh, geographical areas that you know encompass both United States as well as Canada. 
Gotcha. So are the Canadian roots the driver behind your playing hockey? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it was interesting. I remember being up in Toronto as a youngster and seeing different and just learning and there was different promotions and seeing a hockey night in Canada live on the Toronto TV and just being like, oh, my Lord, this is just the greatest thing ever. And, and I've just always been interested since then. But <laughs> I wonder what it is about hockey. So, so hockey... I can't watch it. I, my attention, I can't keep my attention on it in the TV for more than a couple of minutes. But if you ever go to a live hockey game, your eyes are glued. Like you just can't get your eyes off of the ice. Oh yeah. I, I don't know if that's just me or what it is about that experience. It's, uh, but it's probably my favorite sport to see live and I don't really follow the sport at all. Oh yeah. I agree with you. It's yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I actually take it a little bit broader. I, I find watching any and all sports on television just so difficult. I don't know when the last time I got, I, I can even tell you the last time I watched a game in its entirety from start to finish, just a single game, whether it's, you know, I mean, even think back, I'm residing in Pittsburgh. So we've had recent championships, not bragging here. Pittsburgh Steelers at 15, 20 years. I think there's probably uh, what is it? Five, no, yeah. Five championships between the two teams. And, you know, truth be told, I probably haven't seen an entire game since I was just a youngster. Yeah. I'm probably going, probably going about 25, 30 years where I've seen every single play, every single pitch, every single second of action, if you would. I just, I don't have the attention. I don't have the, I don't have what it takes just to sit down and, and keep it on there for that long. Yeah. I don't know how anybody does, quite honestly. I mean, you look around and the phone's buzzing, the phone's ringing and... Yeah, people are you constantly doing this and that. So, yeah. But well, let's transition back over to your professional experience because it was really interesting when, when noticing that you've got that master's in information systems and how it might apply to what you're doing. As you're managing a total rewards function, I'm, I'm going to assume that data and technology is important. So, you are able to leverage that experience. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, data and technology is extremely important. I've known and have learned in, throughout my entire career. When you think about something in terms of just how data is generally, the architecture of it, how your HRI system is, how your payroll system is, and then how it all ends up interacting is really, at least in my unfortunately biased opinion, that's really, a, I view it as kind of the crux of any successful HR function without having that backbone of data, without having that backbone of processes. You think about how everything operates today in 2020 and so much of what everything that we do is in the human resources function ends up being based on technology and based on data and being able to make relevant decisions based off of everything that we're able to put into our data systems. And have you been involved with implementing any of these HRIS systems? Fortunately, I have not been. And I mean that with all due respect. I've um, spent the majority of my career operating in a couple of different HRIS systems, one primarily being um, SAP, another one being Ultimate Software. And it, it involves a, quite a lot of effort, quite a lot of rigor to kind of go from step A to all the way from A to Z in terms of the implementation of a full-blown HRISS. More so in my experiences, I've been involved with systematic update upgrades, helping SAP go through different phase, incremental phase updates. And I've been involved with 
the development and design of a number of SAP HR-based programs, which I find to really be quite exciting. Mm. So in what capacity with what you were doing, were you more of a BA or this is just something that you were kind of just assisting as they were putting this together? Um, a little bit of both and it, and it would kind of vary depending on what we were trying to do as a total rewards function. So some of like one of the, so for example, one of the SAP programs that I helped design in the past was in the past, I should say was something called a, uh, one was uh, just a historical ratings program. You would think that an organization would be able to access all of their qualitative and quantitative ratings in a easy fashion. Unfortunately, there was a, I learned in, in past experiences that there's oftentimes a, a disconnect between what may be stored in terms of performance ratings on the performance management side versus what's stored in the compensation side. And so one of my best accomplishments was putting together a historical ratings report where you're able to really combine those two worlds and put together what you would see in terms of the quantitative figures that would be more involved in the total report side and then kind of adding that to what you might see being managed by your talent or performance teams and being able to have really that qualitative side available as well. And this is all internal so, data? Oh, yes, all internal data. And when I think about what I'm able to do in, in my role, my abilities are really able to help logically design, help logically plan out what, you know, and understand what the business is going to need, help kind of see the blueprint in terms of what we need from A to Z, what it is that we're trying to achieve, what goals and objectives that we're seeking to do, and then really work with programmers on the IT side to assist in the development of those, make it actually happen. My God, I mean, there's a lot that's going into this. I mean, how many steps, how many data points are you looking at here? Oh my Lord, it, it, thousands upon hundreds of thousands. And, and, and what happens if something goes wrong or you don't, I mean, how can you tell, or that's just more back on SAP, nothing that you can do. Uh, you have to go through the different testing phase to ensure that what we've logically designed in terms of pulling, hey, we're going to pull this data set, we're going to pull this data set, we're going to pull this, and really going through a rigorous testing phase to ensure that absolutely everything that you want to be pulled is pulling with respect to the manner in which that you hope it is going to eventually operate. Hmm. And, and like, so, how, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, how long does this kind of, I guess, testing and implementation like, how long does it take to do? Sure. Uh, I mean, I've been involved with a number of HR programs. Some are minor in that it's a couple weeks, couple months. Others are bigger deals in that it's really maybe anywhere of maybe nine months to a year and a half, depending on the breadth and the scope mm -hmm. of you know, what it is that you're looking at and what you're trying to accomplish and how in-depth and how detailed that it is and, what the, and really what the requirements are of that given project. And, and then how do you know when it's done? Like what happens at the end? What happens at the end is you end up with a, a piece of operating software, a program, if you would, that's in your HRIS system and you're able to fully use it successfully. You're able to, you're able to have it live, take it for some runs, and then it's done because the next stage of it is really ultimately communicating it to the HR business partners, your business leaders, everyone within the HR function and, and be successful in that communication and know that you have something that's not only a, a sound operating program, but it's going to be sustainable for a period of time as well. Mm, tell me about the communication part of this. Like, like, what does that look like? How does that sound? Oh, 
Oh boy, it can be uh, it can be really in depth. It really kind of depends on the program and the content in which you are trying to communicate. If you're trying to do something that's short, it may be just a couple of one pagers, a couple of highlights. Hey, this report is out there. Please be aware that you we now have this. It could be something that can be communicated in an email or a flyer. Other times when you're dealing with something that's more in depth, I once was one. I once implemented an ad hoc reward system where it enabled employees and leaders to provide cash and track non-cash rewards to other members of the organization and something like that. You need to have educational sessions with your entire HR team. You need to have educational sessions with business. You need to create operating and working instructions. You need to create, sometimes you need to modify policies in accordance to the what's coming out and you also would yet need to do really almost a PowerPoint sessions if you would and just uh, PDFs educational employee facing material so that you have a consistent one consistent communication campaign it sounds like there's I mean just so much involved on your end is it extremely complicated and tough and you've got to kind of boil it down for people like myself, the layman, or the other professionals that you're dealing with and rolling this out with? Or are they at least somewhat familiar with this and, and it's not as, I guess, or less onerous on you? Um, I think the answer is really both. So obviously when you're dealing with different things, when you're dealing with different programs and situations that are consistent within an organization and have been there for a period of time and you're making a, a bit of an administrative change to it or implementing a new program, I think what's really important is to, you would really have to kind of a, approach it from both. You kind of have to be very specific with what it is you're looking for in terms of your requirements, really understand what it is that the problem, that the goal that you're trying to achieve, the objective which you're seeking to achieve, you really have to understand what it is that you're trying to solve, if it's a problem, if it's an issue, Sometimes you have to understand what you're trying to solve for. So maybe there's contingencies involved. Well, if we do this, how is that going to impact that? How's that going to later impact this? You might have one of uh, those types of situations. But with every time that I've been involved in a redesign or an implementation, one of the things that I like to do, as I mentioned before, is a, a test. And that just isn't a test in terms of looking at, obviously, if you have a, a one-off project and you're working to achieve a certain goal, update a program, achieve better administration. You're not just simply, you're not just really, you're not working in a bubble. It's not just me and a computer programmer. There's a team of individuals who are kind of tasked with trying to achieve this. You're going to seek the opinion of not just the teammates, but also stakeholders who may be close or stakeholders who may be familiar with the project. So if I'm working on an implementation, I may work with I may seek the opinion and the guidance of internal business partners, internal HR generalists. I may even go reach out to other individuals and individuals who are in the business and seek their thoughts and feedback on something in, in kind of a test mode, if you would, so that they can kind of experience what it is that we're trying to do. They can get the feel for it and provide their thoughts, their commentary, their feedback before we get too far down the line and we get out of a place where we can no longer make updates. So I think really the best way to describe it is I like to be iterative in the approach and we're working as an HR function, partnering with IT, but really trying to best come up with something better or resolve a problem for the business. So God, again, so much going on there. For those that are listening that are in your field right now and they haven't necessarily gone through this, 
is there a playbook? Like, like, how did you learn this? How much of it are you leveraging your consultants? Like, how do you know how to do all this stuff? And what could they be doing that can help assist them with rolling something like this out? Um, part of it was learning on the job. Part of it was, I mentioned before, I did learn a lot of these skills through my uh, unique education, which I'm very quite fortunate to have between the MBA and HR and the MS in information system. So you think about HR and IS, it's kind of that skill set. It's kind of being educated in that area where it's, oh, we're taking traditional HR and we're trying to implement modern day information solutions to it. So I do have that background educationally. I was quite fortunate in the early stages of my career, especially with Nova, where I was able to gain a lot of that experience on the job by implementing a number of different reports, different modeling systems, ad hoc, hoc, both formal, and quite fortunate in in that regard. If there's any advice I'd have to, if there's any advice, as you mentioned, that I could give to anybody, it would be you have to really keep your head on your shoulders and be ready to pivot around and be ready to, you have to really open your eyes to any and all solutions and you have to really understand the business in which you are operating in. You also have to understand not just where the, and Gretzky used to say, you have to not just understand where the puck is, but where the puck is going. And you have to kind of be anticipate, really kind of think with your head on your shoulders and think, all right, where, if we're here today, where are we going to be tomorrow? Where are we going to be tomorrow? And where are we going to be tomorrow? And what can I do to you know, try to resolve those future needs? There's a lot obviously here, what would you say that's been the best skill set that you've acquired that's led to your success in doing all this stuff? Oh boy, the best skill set that I've acquired. Oh wow, that is a heck of a question. (laughs) Uh, I think one of the best skill sets that I've acquired throughout my career is my ability to use just Excel. You think about not just the testing of these programs, but really from a total reward standpoint, it's so much of the role and so much of our jobs today are efficiently and correctly managing data. And so being able to be not just familiar with a program like Excel, but really understand how it works and being able to use functions such as pivot tables and VLOOKUP, if-then functions, understanding how to successfully round numbers and kind of make data talk to one another has been kind of that skill set that I've relied on throughout my career. It's such an important tool in business. Yeah. It's funny. Every time they put out an update, though, it feels totally new. It's like, wait a minute. I used to know exactly where all my my ribbons were. I used to know exactly everything. And it's like, ah, it feels just a little bit different. They do a couple things a little bit different. It's like I'm reading it. It's like I'm learning a new language. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, We're running a little bit tight on time. We've got a couple quick questions for you as we wrap up. What's the best advice that somebody ever gave you? And I guess, does it apply to something that you could pass on to those that are listening? Oh, wow. With the best advice somebody ever gave me, the best, some of the best advice I've ever had, I've ever had is follow your interests, follow your pursuits. If there's something you can do, then do it now. Mm. Those are some, I know my interests are human resources, total rewards, HRI, you know, human resources, information systems, and I continue to follow those throughout my career and I'm quite happy with my career. And if there's something you can do, then do it now. And that's something that I always come back to. It's, hey, you can't remain happy in one place. You have to always be hungry and try to keep trying to move forward. I like that. I never heard to do it now. 
I, I like that, and I agree with that. Do it while you can. <laughs> what? Uh, so I'm a, I'm a big quote guy, and I'd love to run a quote by you and get your perspective on on the quote or if it means anything to you. So this is a Peter Drucker quote. I'm sure you know who he is. The only skill that will be important in the 21st century is the skill of learning new skills. Everything else will become obsolete over time. When I hear that quote and I think about that quote, that's telling me that you have to be almost an interchangeable force within yourself to be able to understand you know, that the way things are today are not necessarily the way that they're going to be tomorrow. So just because you do something a certain way today doesn't necessarily mean that's the way that it should be tomorrow. And your job of having a certain skill set isn't is good. It's good today, but what's really going to be that driver for the future is your ability to be able to not just maintain those old skills, but develop those new skills and be able to pick up a new set of tools for your trade. I agree. I mean, he, he was so ahead of his time. And nowadays, you keep hearing yeah. the term agility and, and how things change. And I don't know if you're familiar with Moore's Law, but it's essentially every 18 months, data is doubling. So they're saying that you will hit singularity at 2040 or 2045. I forgot when it was. Things are just moving at just such a, a, a rapid, like you said, just Excel, even just the Excel updating. <laughs> you know, it's like, and what do you do? Obviously, you've invested a lot in your education. Is there any other things that you're doing to continuously learn new skills? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. So I can, I attend webinars constantly through the World of Work organization, which is kind of the worldwide leader in total rewards. I constantly attend different webinars, different conferences, different educational systems put on through the put on by the Pittsburgh Human Resources Association or the Shroom Group or sometimes the HRCI group. Over the years, I tried to, I through, I've earned a number of certifications through both World of Work as well as other groups. And so you do have to do a lot to maintain those certifications. And so staying on top of what's new, what's coming out there and trying to understand, again, not just where the ball is, but where that ball is going to go to. So, And one last question before I let you go. I know you're, you're very involved in, like you said, SHRM, and I believe there's another, I guess, networking group that you're a part of. How important is that for you? in terms of having some of those kinds of relationships? And do you have an opportunity to not only just contribute, but also leverage some of those relationships when there's something that you're looking to learn or just to get information or bounce ideas on? Oh yeah. Maintaining relationships through the, through the, through my external networks and different communities is really important to me. I feel that I do volunteer work for a couple of groups. One mentioned before is Pittsburgh Human Resources Association. I also do work for the Pittsburgh Total Rewards Association, and they're really invaluable in the sense that they're, they're relationships that, that last a lifetime. I have friends throughout the human resources industry, both on the total reward side, both in the regular human resources side, if you want to call it the regular side of HR, and I constantly rely upon my network for different thoughts. Hey, what do you think about this legislation? What do you think about that legislation? If I have an idea that I'm trying to think about logically internally and I'm not really certain how it might be received or I'm not really certain as to what those potential roadblocks could be internally, I do like to run that by folks in my network. Great. 
like music to my ears. No, I mean, listen, it's all about having these kinds of relationships. It's a, it's amazing what they can do for you as long as you obviously contribute to them. So it makes me very happy. Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, oh, sure thing. Uh, Dan, I really appreciate you making today happen, especially today. It's very early and you are in early bird mode, even though you are a night owl, although <laughs> you're not calling yourself an owl. Thank you for coming on the show, my friend. Adam, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation and Hey, stay safe out there this weekend during these uh, crazy COVID times. Oh, indeed, my friend, indeed. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim... Make it a great day and remember to always network wise.